The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Paul Cherry, author of Questions That Sell, the powerful process for discovering what your customer really wants. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Paul Cherry, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Oh, great, Doug. Thank you for having me here. Well, it's it's great to reconnect with you, and uh, we've uh, been actually talking about some other things uh, lately. Now, you are where? You're in um, Delaware, right? Wilmington? That's right. Wilmington, Delaware. Excellent. And uh, when you were on the show to talk about your excellent book, uh, Questions That Sell, I couldn't stop talking about Delaware because you were the first guest, and actually you're still the only one that's been (laughs) on the Marketing Book Podcast from the state of Delaware. And uh, we were playing uh, George Thurgood and the Delaware Destroyers music and uh, talking Mm. about Delaware Punch, which is actually, I think, from Ohio. Mm. Just more examples of the really useless information that I store in my head. <laughs> and you know, when you mentioned George Thorogood, it's uh, I graduated 79 out of high school and, you know, here he was just kicking. And yet I just, I, I saw him being promoted. Uh, he was going to be in Dewey Beach before this stuff hit the um he's still he's still going strong it's just amazing yeah he is amazing and you know he was almost a uh, professional baseball player ooh did not know that oh he graduated from was it Brandywine or Concord High School right i can't remember like, but he was going to yeah. was like in uh, he played like a you know minor league or or some kind of baseball and instead he just became a rock star so i guess if he didn't do baseball or rock star he was probably going to be an astronaut you know or- <laughs> Uh, like that. So, yeah. <clears throat> so for listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast who haven't listened to your interview, you were uh, not too long ago, episode 216. I just published episode 281. Mm-hmm. So you were on in March of 2019, which would have mm-hmm. been 
one year before all this crazy quarantine started. But for those who are not familiar with you and haven't heard that interview, introduce yourself and tell them who you are and what you do. All right. Well, again, it's Paul Cherry. So uh, author, presenter, speaker. Uh, I'm very passionate about the art of engagement. So it's the ability to ask great questions. And when you ask great questions, watch out. Uh, You're going to get good information. And it's knowing how to listen and really weed through that information, pertinent information, to really get to the heart of the issues. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. So it's passion in teaching others, whether it's those in leadership, uh, business professionals, sales professionals, and really how to, I always say three things. You know, if you master these three things, you're going to be successful. So it comes down to these three things. Number one, ask the right questions. Number two, with the right people. Number three, and focus on the right opportunities. Yeah, you know, questions, people, opportunities. And then you know what? Things fall into place. So just... I don't know. It doesn't get any simpler than that. I just gave a $10,000 idea away for for zero. So <laughs> there's a little nugget. Did you hear that, listener? <laughs> he's, 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 he's adding value already. Uh, it's, it's so true. It's so true. And I should actually mention that there was a newer book uh, that you've published called The Ultimate Sales Pro, What the Best Salespeople Do Differently. Yes. Um, and But I, you know, being the fussy host, I wanted to ask – to cover the other book uh, about questions that sell just because it was of such interest and you were willing to do that. So I, I, mm-hmm. I appreciated that. So has your uh, work life changed? Have you had to cancel uh, a lot of travel? Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. So uh, the work now is done through Zoom meetings, and it's also with the phone. So that, those are my tools. And the good news is that's how I started in this business. That's how I've stayed in this business and thrived in this business is through the phone. So um, that has not gone away. Yeah. Well, it, you know what? It's interesting you say that because uh, people, a lot, I, the one thing challenge I'm hearing today is people struggling on how to use the phone when they're so been so conditioned with face-to-face engagements. They don't know how to leverage that through the phone. So it's almost like a, People are kind of outside their comfort zone. So what are you uh, advising folks to do? That's kind of funny that they weren't used to using the phone. I could certainly understand that for younger people. Well, the people that I own kids even know that those uh, devices in their pockets. Well, you're right. Isn't that true? It's like, yeah, or even a TV, right? They don't know what a TV is. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this idea of live TV. I think there's some people. Who was it? I was just reading about somebody who said they were – they were uh, in a hotel with their kids, and there was a commercial on the TV, and the kids said, Dad, can you fast forward through those commercials? <laughs> he was yeah. saying, no, it's, it's live TV. So, Paul, what is it about questions that seems to change the dynamic of sales and, and really um, any kind of human interaction? Well, you know, I was uh, talking with my friend Jerry Acuff, who is in, in my industry, and he reminded me, it's my book, that questions are truth-seeking missiles. Mm. And he goes, he goes, Paul, that's in your book. And I go, well, I haven't read it in a little while. I'm, I had to look it up, and I'm like, oh, thank you for that reminder. Because it's always about getting to the truth. 
Now, what I mean by that is, you know, when human dynamics, sales dynamics, marketing dynamics, people dynamics, you know, there's an art of, of, of ability of connecting, rapport, and being nice and cordial. But, but the heart of the issue of engagement is really getting to, to meaning and substance. That's what it's all about. And so it's teaching salespeople, you know, that I work with is stepping back about pitching, preaching, telling, persuading, motivating, trying to close. That's all good. But if the customer is not receptive or open or motivated to buy, the reality is you're wasting time and effort. But my point is this, there's a dance and that customers will you know, play along because nobody wants to be confrontational, rude, or obnoxious for the most part. But they'll say, okay, that sounds nice. Good, good. Well, when we're ready, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know. We'll think about it or email me some information. Let's touch base down the road. You know, we all encounter that, whether you're in sales or non-sales. But I'd rather get to the truth than focus in on people who are interested versus those that aren't. And Doug, I, I say there's no time management. People talk about managing time. I laugh at that. Stop that. That does not exist. Don't manage your time. Manage your relationships. Hmm. What I mean by that, focus on the right relationships, people that really see value and are receptive and open to change in your ideas. That's when things happen. And those that aren't, move on. <laughs> see what I mean? That's yep. managing time by managing relationships. So, you know, it's, it's not easy, but that's where questions come in. And, and you've heard it. I almost don't want to say this because it's, it's kind of cliche, but, you know, it's people should, the customer or, or your participant you're dealing with should really be talking 70% of the time. Um, it means you're asking good questions. That means they're engaged and involved mm-hmm. and they're participatory. And they come up with the ideas you're looking for. That's what I call empowerment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Empower people with the ideas you're looking for. That becomes a win-win. Yeah, like getting them to uh, almost discover uh, what they're doing. And there was a book on yes. the show a while back, not not too long ago, called uh, "Sizing People Up" by a former FBI agent. Ooh, and <clears throat> yeah, very interesting, Robin Dreek. And Ooh. he uh, used this term called uh, discovery questions, and I. <clears throat> Didn't understand that because I thought it was like a discovery call, like with a prospect. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> only after reading his book and then interviewing him and then having come back, having him come back on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, did I, <laughs> did I finally understand what he meant by that. And what he meant was that you are helping them to discover uh, what they need and what they want. And I just, I know I, you know, <clears throat> I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer there, Mr. Cherry, but when he talked about these discovery questions, it was not about him discovering information. It was helping them discover uh, information. So I mean, it sounds, uh, you know, uh, maybe a little subtle, but I, it, it had a big uh, impact for me. Well, I like that because him being an FBI agent, you know, it's, we always think, you know, negotiation, interrogation. To discover, but what he's talking about is really about you know let's do this together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's helping people to discover, and I want to take it one step further though, helping them dig deeper, helping them to go areas that they didn't think of that they could go. Um, you, know, you know, an example of what I mean is we're just on calls with with clients today, and I see it with uh, when we're making joint calls with these salespeople, and I said you know focus on the right relationship. So 
they they had one bucket of um, the customers are calling on. It's like, woe is me. Oh, it's so bad out there. We're just going to hang in there. We don't know what we're going to do. Call us in, you know, six months. And, and it was like, okay, don't spend a lot of time with these folks. And then the second group was, oh, yeah, we already got, we, we recognize this is a mess. It's bad. It's challenging. But here's what we're doing. Here's how we're doing. Here's the opportunities we're doing. They're open and receptive. They're thinking, they're planning, they're strategizing. Those kind of customers that are already having initiative, goals, motivation, you know, and it's just, it's kind of like employees. You know, I, I look at, you know, whether it's customers, salespeople or employees, knowing, you know, who's in the right bucket uh, to work with. So I guess where I was going with that is, but helping customers to discover and really learn and, and help instill that confidence, expand their comfort zone to really be able to develop what I call crystallation of, of their thought process. And you do that with their questions. Mm-hmm. And that's no different than have you ever thought about, have you ever tried this or considered? It's like what you just mentioned about this this negotiator from the FBI, you know, you're stimulating my mind to say, oh, that's exciting. I never thought of that before. So you see how you help me to dig a, bit, a little bit deeper because how I was stereotyping somebody as, oh, they only look at it as interrogation. It's like, no, they look at it more as collaboration. So you see how and that's a great example, even though you didn't do that intentionally. Inte- Intentionally, I was going to say intelligently, but I'm being nice here, Doug. That would be true as well. <laughs> Let me stay on track. But that's uh, that's what I mean about creating and add, adding value in our engagement. So good job on that one. Well, thank you. Now, I think I, I didn't let you answer the other question because I started rambling on, but it was about getting folks to use the, the phone again. What are the things that you are noticing as it relates to salespeople and some of the adjustments <clears throat> they're making and maybe some things that they're realizing they could have been doing all along? Well, you see that. And again, I don't want to stereotype people, but it's typically the experienced salesperson who has anywhere from 8, 10, 12, 20 years of sales experience. And I see this. It's so classic where you have the more of the traditional, I need to be face-to-face with my customers because I need to, you know, in, look in their eyes and body language, and I want them to feel important and valued. There's just this mindset that they've never been able to break. They use the phone to be able to initiate and get appointments, but, and, and then they'll think nothing of jumping in a car and, tr- and driving two or three hours or a plane mm-hmm. and spending $1,500 on an airline ticket just to say, hey, how you doing? Just wanted to stop in and say hello and see how things are going. And what I mean by that is, okay, it's to use the phone and go through the whole sales process beyond just using it to initiate having to schedule a face-to-face meeting. Go through the whole pro- sales process using the phone. And I, I work with a lot of salespeople. Steve Haran, just I was talking to on Friday. He goes, I never, you know, do face-to-face anymore. It's all over the phone. And he's so successful at, at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was painful for me because I thought too. I came from the Dale Carnegie Training Organization. I thought it was always face-to-face. Back in the 90s, early 2000s, I thought if you don't get in front of somebody face-to-face, no way. In my business, it's an intangible sale. I won't make it happen. And I, through the painful process, I, I learned that, wow, you can sell through the phone. And I've closed so much business. 90% of my business is actually closed over the phone before I actually will have a face-to-face live training engagement. Now, when you say okay. over the phone, you're, you're using Zoom a lot? 
ah, if I do the training, the group training, but just when it comes to customer engagements, uh, just just the phone. The phone is fine. I think customers like that as well, especially because a lot of our communication is through the cell phone. Yes, yes. Um, I'm wondering if going forward, a lot of companies are going to be saying, wait a minute, we do not need to get on a plane for the first meeting. Let's ask questions. Let's find out if they're a fit. And your earlier comment about, you know, spend your time with people, the right people, it was – in uh, Jeb Blunt, I interviewed him not too long ago about his book, his newest book, Inked, and he was talking, I think in that book, about how he won, he won uh, back when he was selling for an organization, he was like salesman of the year, like two years in a row, and the second mm-hmm. year, he was up on the stage, and I, I think the story is that the CEO said, what's your secret? And he said, I only spend time with people that can buy for me. <laughs> There you in that true. There you go. Because yeah, so you. many people were wasting time talking to the people that they can't, uh, that they won't be able to buy from them. But it's so uh, alluring to do that. So, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. yeah. we are both uh, big history fans, and mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering if you have any frame of reference or, or uh, you know, any kind of examples from history about how you're seeing what we're going through now with this pandemic of 2020. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny you say that because as a catapult, you know, questions, I, uh, uh, questions, just one thing I'll, I'll leave and then we're going to dive right into that because it's, 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 it's a great transition. You know, 80% of the people and 80% of the questions we ask are in the present. How you doing? What's going on? What are you using? What's working? What's not? What's your budget? What are your needs? Who else is involved? Or, you know, when are you going to make a decision? It just, it's, what are your goals? So about 80% of the present, about uh, 12% of the future, like a goals question. And then rarely, if ever, do we go into the past? You know, tell me a little bit about, you know, some past experience you've done. What have some been some previous challenges? Tell me why that's been a problem. How's that impacted you in the past? You know, who else was affected? What were the ramifications involved? Now, you, you all those history questions. I've done this 1,200 times with companies. And every time, whether it's a highly seasoned group or entry level, people don't go into the past. And I'm like, how could you? You talk about building and cultivating and managing relationships, and you don't spend time in the past? Well, I don't need to go into the past. Why is that? Because there's no money in the past. Oh, really? So I think in what opportunities you leave on the table because you're not learning from the, this, this prospective customer you know, to really learn, you know, what drives them, their values, their beliefs, you know, the history, what's led them to where they are today. Mm-hmm. You talk about build relationships, you got to go there. People don't. And I thought now that you're asking me this question about it, because I'm, I'm telling you that now, because when you ask me that, you get me excited because I love to talk about the past. You know, of course, whether it's me or, or in general, everybody does. You want to build relationships, go there. Okay, I just wanted people to think about that. They don't do it, and and I challenge anybody. Show me your questions. Give me your random top ten questions you typically ask. You know, ask somebody. Throw them. Don't put any work effort. Let me see them. And boy, I'm just throw them out because it's like you know, (laughs) you got to you got to get better at this. Anyway, history. Yes, yes. Paul, that is such great advice. It never occurred to me, and if it was in your book. Obviously didn't sink in, but it, if you do ask more questions about their past, 
Oh. It will start to reveal the future. You don't have to ask about oh. the future as much, it seems to me. Thank you. And you're no longer a me too. You're no longer checking off the questions. But, you know, we really want to, I listen to, you know, anybody who's a small business owner, somebody who has, you know, had a very challenging life. And it could be somebody, I don't care whether it's the janitor or the CEO, everybody has a story. And my hope, if you want to ask a great question, it is, here it is. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. And just let people open up. And what what gets me upset is when I'll present that to a group, well, I don't want to ask that. Why not? Because then they'll start unloading. Unloading meaning they won't be quiet? Yeah, because they want the platform, the salesperson. They want to give their spiel, okay? They want to tell their story. So they see the fight of egos? And it's like, sales professional, put your ego aside. It's not you. Let the customer have the stage. Is this common sense or what? Well, they they need to start filling up that 70% of the talking that the prospect needs to be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and so that's 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 my point. And I've always, you know, when I'm meeting a small business owner, and, and you got to do it with genuine. You generally want, if you're not interested in hearing a story, you don't ask it because they'll pick up real fast. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing. Anybody who's been, you know, has a story and wants to tell it, nobody wants to listen. The spouse is sick and tired of it. The kids don't want to hear it. It's like, yeah, yeah, dad. Okay, I heard it. Okay, how many times are you going to tell me? And the employees are sick and tired of it because they're like, yeah, you got to where you are. It must be nice. As that Nobody it can't tell that story to anyone. Craving to tell that story. Let that person. Talk about building and bonding with people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take, what is it? It's so much better than asking the question, you know, trying to build some rapport. Hey, how's the weather out there? I mean, what a bunch of... Who cares? See what I mean? Why stay on the surface when you can get substance? Yeah. You know, See? another question that I find interesting to ask people because I am interested is how did you get into this line of work? It's yes. It's there it is. That's tell me your story. Thing. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Back to history. Mm-hmm. Tell me a story from history. Well, I, I here, here's, I, I want people, look, I don't have a crystal ball here. Okay. But I'm I'm going to take a different. You're, you're one of the different first people trajectory. to admit that. <laughs> There's a lot of people yeah. who are uh, acting as if they do know, and uh, well, nobody knows anything. Let me tell you a little here, here for your audience to listen to this. Uh, I've been interviewing a lot of people, thought leaders. You know, really, you don't just be. You know, of course, it's more than Paul Cherry, but I want to leverage other people, and and you were one of them. Thank you for that, Doug. I really enjoyed getting to interview you. My pleasure. But one individual who's very successful, years in the business, authored more than thirty books, and I said, you know what, people really could learn from you some ideas because you've been through it all. You've you've been through the eighties. You've been through the you know nine eleven and and the peaks and valleys and what struggles they want to hear your message. And in preparation for the call, I go, give me some advice. What are you seeing, hearing, and recommending? He goes, I don't have a clue. I have no idea. I don't know what. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> well, of course, guess what? He certainly put on a great show when I came you know, when, when I interviewed him live. And again, I'm not knocking the guy. I get it. Because, you know, scared. There's fear. There's paralysis. There's doubt. But everybody wants to put on a good face and figure, okay, I'm a thought leader, so I better tell them what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, I'll get, but but I'm going beyond p- opinions. Why you ask me history is because I want to give you some ideas 
uh, about you know what's happened in some past situations when it's come to you know these kind of pandemics. Um, uh, and I'll talk about this three major incidents in the 20th century that we've gone through and uh, how it's more really about, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do and talk any politics of, of how we're handling it, but what was the aftermath? Mm-hmm. Because everybody's preaching that it's going to be a new world order. It's going to be so different when it returns. Or, or the I challenge that. The new normal. I, mm-hmm. I'm challenging that. Okay. I will challenge that because I don't believe it. And there's reasons why. And it's, I'm not going to say it's from me. But it's what history says. And why don't we start with the, you know, the 1918 Spanish flu, mm-hmm. which <laughs> it wasn't really from Spain. No, it wasn't, was it? I understand. The origins are a little questionable, but I understand it was through the Midwest U.S. Army training camp, supposedly. But even that's questionable. Uh, there's silence there. Did oh. you hear something different? No, I think, uh, as I understood it, there were newspapers that didn't want to talk about it because they were in the war. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they didn't want to reveal a weakness, but the newspapers in Spain were reporting on it, and they weren't in the First World War. Yeah. Yep. And yep. somehow mm-hmm. the name got uh, attached to yes. Spain. I, I, I'm, there's more to it, but I'm it there is to do with that. There is. And, and I, I'm going to, you know... Folks should – you don't need to get the books, but you can uh, Google the authors. One is Mark Honigsbaum. Okay? He's a medical historian. Uh, he's numbered, He actually has authored a number of books on the Spanish flu, but his latest is coming out June 5th, and it's called Pandemic Century, History of Global Contagion from Spanish Flu to COVID-19. Mm. All right? Yeah, and it was just, he was interviewed by NPR, National Public Radio. That was a week ago, and I was just fascinated. And I caught the tail end of his interview, and I'm like, ah! But uh, anyway, here's what's interesting when we go back to 1918. This is one of the major epidemics. Now, most people, I mean, and statistics kind of gets cloudy, but about 50 million people worldwide died of this strain of influenza. And in the United States, 675,000 in the U.S. One third of the world population was infected. But why am I telling you? Here's, what, here's what's interesting about this, because I was very intrigued, but I didn't find much information. What was the aftermath? How did people, you know, you know obviously World War I was coming to an end in 1918. Uh, there was a, a major recession uh, going on in 1919, 1920. Um, what happened? <clears throat> well, here's what, what um, some leaders, uh, another researcher, Alfred Crosby, author of America's Forgotten Pandemic, the Influenza of 1918. This was published in 1989. Here's what he stated. Except for those who watched loved ones succumb to the Spanish flu or who nursed patients in wards and lost colleagues to the infection, the virus left little mark on the collective consciousness of society. And here's what he stated. Americans took little notice of it. There were no vaccines at the time. This is six times the amount of deaths that we're experiencing right now. It makes you wonder and question, okay, Think about the ramifications of what they went through at that time. Now, so what were the, say they? They weren't giving mind to it, just that they didn't feel there's anything they could do about it. 
No, they just said they, they put it aside. It's like, let's move on. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. Who is Alfred Crosby? Just because it's coming from him. Where else can I get some information? Here's what came out at the Times of London, published in February of 1921. Here it is, quote unquote, we're puzzled by the pandemic's failure to leave an emotional residue. People refused to realize it. And talk about England was just going through a major, you know, they actually, and and it wasn't just the influenza, like you said about Spain going through, but they lost a whole generation of people to World War I. I mean, I may be wrong here, but I think we lost about 118,000 U.S. servicemen. I think uh, Great Britain lost at least a million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a lot more going on, but I think... Something tells me, though, that we're hearing this is that because all the trauma, all the, you know, your face was such calamity uh, that people just had to move on. It could, it might be, it kind of reminds me of World War II, our greatest generation, because you've heard this again, this story over and over again, how the servicemen came home and, you know, Nobody wanted to talk about their battle experiences. It was just, mm-hmm. nope, I just want to dig in. I want to get the GI Bill. I want to go to school. I want to get make it a living. I want to make up for that lost time, family, kids. What happened? You know, 1940, and they thought we were going to have a major recession, depression. What happened, 46 and beyond? Things just were just going wild, the economy. Oh, oh, and I lift this out. What are the 20s known for? Uh, being roaring. Yes. And guess what? Here it is. The U.S. economy from 1921 to 1929 grew 42%. Is that amazing or what? Talk about the roaring 20s. You know, people forget that time because they ought to, they, when they think 20s, they think 29, the stock crash. I get that. Mm-hmm. But what about everything from 21 to 29? Wow. It was really a, a memento time. Um, another th- interesting thing I found, because I wanted to say, okay, okay, that's, that was 100 years ago, 102 years ago, the Spanish flu. What other epidemic, uh, pandemics did we face? And interesting, I found out in 1957, there was the Asian flu. Have you heard of that one? Because they're kind of tossing it around now because nobody knew about it. I but are but kind I of paying the, attention. I remember the Hong Kong flu as a kid. There you go. That was 68. Mm-hmm. 68. So I'll start with 57. The Asian flu, 80,000 U.S. deaths, 1 million deaths globally. Hmm. But you're now. But there was really no ramifications. I mean, they didn't, I, I looked at the research, nothing in terms of really publicizing, hey, we got a problem, let's deal with it, let's shut down. No. Or the ramifications afterwards. Yeah, there was a recession and 58, you know, but it dipped, but there was no correlation with the pandemic at all. 68, yes, that was the Hong Kong flu. 100,000 US people died. That's in about, about what we're experiencing right now. One to four million globally. A much smaller population back then. That was a, a greater percentage of, of people. Well, yeah, that's that's interesting. You say that, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, about the Spanish flu. Going back to that, one third of the, of the world population was infected. Yeah. Mm. So it's interesting statistics. But again, um, looking at the research, you know, there were some people trying to raise concerns, alarms, or whatever. But back then, they just said nope. Just 
they ran with it. Yeah, they took some corrective action. I'm not saying they, they didn't ignore it, but um, because that was sizable, the statistics. But it's 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 my point is it didn't seem to impact society afterwards. This thing about new normal was created. Mm -hmm. There's no correlation between, you know, going back to that 1919, 1958 or 69 afterwards to trace no correlation of any new normal. So I'm challenged. This is my whole point. Why, why we're chatting. I'm challenging this new normal. Prove it to me because um, my thoughts are, and here's my opinion coming in. But eventually, you know, people are going through the pain. I get it. There may be a new normal temporarily, and I don't know how long that will be. But once we get that, you know, the magic bullet, mm -hmm. you know, the vaccine, it's like, oh, we're all safe now. We're all good. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> well, um, then it's kind of like, okay, we can adapt. You know what's interesting? In my research, I, I found out through the Lancet, uh, the publication, the Hong Kong flu, the flu that we experience every year. You know, this year as well, its origins trace back to the 1968 Hong Kong flu. It just, we've learned to deal with it, live with it, accept it. So here's my point. There's going to be a point where we're going to call it fatigue. And I just read this in, in this week's uh, magazine, The Week. Mm -hmm. And it's saying that it's, it's when is the pandemic over? And it's... <laughs> If, if I could summarize the two pages, it will be over, not so much when the vaccine is created, but it's really about people are just tired and like, you know what, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm just going to go do what I want to do. I got to accept it. See, that's, that's the message here. Interesting. I'm not endorsing it or embracing it. I'm just, I'm quoting, trying to state what uh, these, these social scientists are saying. Interesting. And I, I just it, brought that up. When will the pandemic end? Mm -hmm. And how? It says, yeah, interesting. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get that way I, <laughs> in, in very small ways, but it's like uh, I, I need a haircut. And, <laughs> and I'm growing this beard, and I'm starting to look like Tom Hanks on The there you Castaway. Go. You've seen yeah. him. Yes, and, I have. Uh, yeah, you look great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and – but I'm thinking, no, I I can't. I don't like this this uh, hair length. I don't really. It's just not my thing, man. <laughs> and my wife was saying, no, 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 don't go to a don't go to a barber shop. And I'm just thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I think yeah. I'm gonna schedule it because you have to schedule it at least here in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm gonna ask for the first slot that day, whatever day they tell me. And I think I'm just yeah. gonna. But it's a good example of it. Just brought to mind. That's just a really small kind of trivial way, but it's like. All right, I've had enough of this, you know. Yeah. Or I want to go, uh, you know, I'm going to get together with my friends. I mean, hunting season is coming up in the fall. There I'm not missing that. I'm going to be going out with my friends to go, you know, hunting, which doesn't involve large groups of people. And it, there is quite there a bit of go. social distancing in hunting. But there you go. There <laughs> you think, go. Yeah, we're going to slowly start yeah. putting a, a toes um, back in the water. <clears throat> so, yeah. Paul, what, what have you been doing uh, to keep yourself entertained? Oh, what do I do? Yeah, since uh, since all this travel oh. stopped. Yes, so it's not talking to me. I know that. Yeah, <laughs> well, actually, no. I love talking to you, Doug. You're just full of wealth of information, and I'm telling the audience, the listeners. I mean, just all the folks that you've interviewed, the thought leaders, and the the amount of wealth of information of ideas packed in your brain. 
I mean, it was just, I was taking notes upon notes of things, ideas to put into action. So <laughs> trust me, you are an incredible source and inspirational. Well, I appreciate um, that. And actually, you know what yeah. else? You mentioned that uh, the recording you did of the, the conversation we had, uh, and I am going to include a link to that at your episode's uh, blog post at marketingbookcocktails.com. So yeah. people can find that. And we're also going to include links to your website and, and all that sort of thing. Oh, but, thank you. But thank back you. to uh, Paul Cherry having fun. Yeah. So here's what I do. Um, you know, I'm 58 and I, I know I better be a little bit, make sure I stay in my lane. But the thing, I love independent sports and I've always loved adventure sports. So you know, I'm going back to my roots that really have just excited and inspired me that have just you just unleashed my you know motivations and one is whitewater kayaking. So oh. I am back into it. Yeah, I'm a little rusty or whatever, but I love it. I'm making new friends. It's exciting. You know, doing class 2, class 3 water, which is, you know, competitive but not too challenging and within my league. Mountain biking. I love it. We are just surrounded by 80 miles of single track trails. So I'm out there doing that. I'm jump roping. What else am I doing? I'm doing road riding. Wow. Uh, that's keeping me busy. So well, once you hit it's, 60, it's all downhill, Paul. Well, like maybe that's what I'm doing. I'm uh, deep down, my subconscious is just fighting the fact is I'm going to be getting older. I'm but I'm just, I'm, the nice thing is I'm finding outlets. My kids, uh, they're 20 and 22, they're home now. And, you know, my daughter, because they're being quarantined and, you know, it's nice when the daughter says, hey, she loves bird watching and outdoors. She mm -hmm. goes, let's go bird watching. And of course, like bird watching. Oh, come on. Because I'm like, mm. but, but I, I'm like, you don't turn your 22 year old down. You know, if she wants to do something with you, that's that's dad daughter time. Yeah, yes, let's do it. I know about that. And so it's there's this there's great bonding things that. I do have another book that uh, I've written. I got to take it off the shelf and, and tweak it or whatever. So I'll be getting that up. But yeah, I'm staying busy and that's and staying well-rounded. Well, it sounds like a lot, of, a lot of fun. What's uh, Can you tell us about your, your next book? Oh, it's called Ask Paul. So, you know, I put it aside. I, I got it completed um, two years ago. And then because just the other two books came out all at once. And it was like, okay, I don't want to be releasing another book until, you know, at least two years later. And then it's all of a sudden, wait a minute, two years later, it's here. So it's actually a spinoff of like, um, kind of like a Dare and Landers, Miss Manners thing in terms of here's my challenge, Paul. And it's all based on the 25 years of, in business. People reached out to me asking, here's my challenge. What do I do with it? So it's kind of a spinoff. Ask Paul. And each, you know, mini, mini chapter is here's how you deal with it. So it's a lot of fun, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Well, you told me the um, title for some reason. I thought you were going to say, well, it's a book about the Apostle Paul, and he— <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I, I wish—I don't—that's I, I, between you and me. I don't think my wife and kids would yeah. would call me saint yet. But well, that sounds great. That'd be man. nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'll, I'll pass that on that's a book that a 25-year-old can write. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> you've, yeah. you've answered enough of these questions enough times. Well, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Hey, one thing I will leave with you, it's because it's something that's really um, sort of just had an impact on my life. And, uh, simple story. In between jobs back in my 20s, um, I got a job and which I, very proud of this. I put it on my resume and it's a leadership position. I've had over 5,000 people underneath me with 0% turnover. What do you think that job was? 
prison. I was warden? a grave digger. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a grave a digger. Grave digger. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 it's crazy, but in between jobs and you do what it takes to, to make things happen. But something, I took that job and, you know, it was just and, whenever and, I have and, a bit. there was no turnover. So you guaranteed right. they stayed. Once they came in, they stayed, they stayed. But, but I want to share this with you because it really just, as, as just as a thought, um, I just, it's again, history and, and to be able to, it was the Brandywine, uh, Brandywine and Presbyterian, I don't know, Brandywine Cemetery in downtown Wilmington. And it's all many of the famous uh, people, the streets that I see today in Wilmington. It's like, oh, I recognize that name. And there's uh, the burial plot for the family. But we had the, um, came back for a talk many years later. It was just this past winter. Um, and it was one of the superintendents of a park that happens to love um, cemeteries. And she actually pulled records of this cemetery, 200 burial um, certificates from 1844 to 46. And here's what's fascinating is that 40, my numbers may be a little off, but about 40% of the deaths uh, were anywhere from, you know, at birth up to age 10. And then another, uh, at least 40 to 45% of deaths were up to between age 11 and 45. Um, Here's what's interesting. Very few deaths occurred, you know, up through the 70s. It was just unheard of. I mean, you, you got it to 80, yeah, it was incredible. It was just unheard of. The whole point of the average age back then you know, with all the deaths going on, was 45. Yeah. Why am I sharing this with you? Again, we're, we're talking about history and that as much as I, you know, we talk numbers and numbers are logic. And when we hear these stories and we watch the, these, the, we listen to these stories on TV and watch what goes on, how people are affected, a family, it's crushing. But my point is, is that you know, we, we got to realize the context we're in. If we look at the bigger picture that, you know, many people before us had it much, much harder, yes. much harder. Mm-hmm. And, and let's not forget that, you know, we got to have some, you know, that's why we talk history because it's a frame of reference and we need that. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yes. And it brings to mind a comedy bit from the comedian Louis C.K. He, on some talk show years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was talking about people that were complaining about flights, <clears throat> and you know they're they're complaining about the person in front of them putting their seat back a couple of inches, or they're complaining uh, about the f- whatever the snack is on the airline flight, <laughs> and he comes back and says, "You are in." an aluminum tube flying through the air or <laughs> flying out west and our ancestors died <laughs> trying to get where you're about to fly to wow it's like isn't that true there you go so it's like stop stop complaining about airline travel <laughs> this is just remarkable uh, what what you're able to do not that anyone you're right the western expansion you know when i was looking at all the things that we suffered years ago from polio, tetanus, hepatitis, rubella, measles, smallpox, malaria, measles, diphtheria, chickenpox, rotavirus, whooping cough, and then all the recent ones, of course, swine, SARS, Zika, Ebola, you know, it just, man, we're, we're really in a golden age 
and people need to remember that. Yep, we have a lot to be. Thank you for that, though. You're right about the westward expansion. Boy, what did it take on a wagon? To it took yeah, what? I mean, people, Five, six months. Uh, died, uh, and 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 families gave. You know, uh, women had uh, bore children on the way out there. That's right. Just uh, and you're just sitting there in a plane flying along, and you're, you're complaining. I just thank that you was for that. No, not- uh, a bit of comedy from him. So, last thank question: you. You're there in Wilmington, Delaware. Have you been able to go over to Joe Biden's house and check in on him? <laughs> no. Yeah, we're not going to get political here, right? But he's, well, no, he's I mean, probably he's, he's staying at home just like the rest of us. I mean, he's like a neighbor. Um, he's not really? that because Delaware's small. Yeah, you know, you could, we have a walk across Delaware once a year, and it takes you what fifteen minutes. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, but I think the, I think the most the, narrow point is like nine <laughs> or twelve miles or something. It's Gosh. something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's it's silly. Um, so it's uh, but, he lives but, near, but he lives yeah, that's what we're all. Yeah, he does. Five miles, maybe. That's all. Okay. It's not far. Yeah. But uh, does he does he come yeah. over sometime or? <laughs> no, 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 no. Where? You know, I'm 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 beneath his league. You know, I'm just you no, know. Well, I bet I'm you just, he would enjoy going mountain biking or uh, doing some uh, rafting with you. Yeah, you know. Oh, we'll see. Well, okay, maybe when he gets selected, okay, and I'll have a have a new role <laughs> on his team. How's that? Yeah, okay. yeah. Then th- yeah, oh, then he's gonna want to pay you back. See? Yeah. The there, there you go. Although I hear he stays in his basement. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Come on. Well, you got to get out I there. I, it might be. I, I, I don't know. But uh, all I know is it will be an interesting time in a few months when things get going and uh, and politics uh, kicks into full gear. Paul, well, some it, say it's, it's doing that now. 2020 is already the most year <laughs> yeah. in my life, yes, yes. probably. And we're only halfway through. So. Yeah. At any yeah. rate. Well, listen, uh, Paul Cherry, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to, to catch up with you and spend some time with you and uh, here on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope that uh, you and your family continues to stay uh, healthy and safe. Oh, thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.